The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of the station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The Everyday Wealth Radio Show and Podcast are produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Ms. Chatsky and Ms. O'Brien are not employees or clients of the firm. They receive fixed cash compensation for acting as hosts in related activities and therefore have an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see everydaywealth.com. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm Ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory records, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use in distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien, personal finance expert Gene Chatsky, and Edelman Financial Engine's wealth planner Jason Cowens. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky, Soledad O'Brien, and Jason Cowens. So we are coming to the end of 2022. And of course, really since September of 2022, I've been like looking to 2023 because that's just kind of how I do it. But, you know, as the year winds down... um, I think people really experience it in different ways. For some people, it's a very joyous time. I have friends who love the holidays. Oh, my goodness. Their homes are just insane. And then for other people, just holidays alone are overwhelming and hectic and exhausting. And then, of course, for some people, it's overwhelming because um, it's been a tough time. You know, maybe it's the first holiday that you've had since someone you loved has passed. I think the, the holidays always remind us of really great things that have happened in the past year. And then, of course, some of the really terrible things that might have happened. You know, what you've, who you've loved, who you've lost in the past year. And so while there's no really great time to be talking about death of a loved one, like so many moments in our lives, there are lots of significant financial decisions and impacts that rush into this moment. And it's usually a moment when you're, you know, in the kind of the heart of the chaos. So we thought we would talk today about all the financial decisions that need to be made after you lose a loved one. Hi, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'm Jason Cowens. And I'm Jean Chatsky. And you're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Soledad, you're right. We lost my stepfather about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And this feels like the first holiday season that we are living without him. And so many of the financial items are still very frustratingly not settled. These are really important conversations to have because I think for many people in these situations, they, they just feel lost. The the closing out of legal or personal or financial matters, it, it may fall to you as it has in, in a, a lot of ways to my mother, and we're, we're trying to help her through that. It is incredibly stressful. It involves a ton of paperwork. It comes rushing at you when you are, quite frankly, at your worst, right? You are not at all prepared to deal with it. And like my mom, this tends to happen to women a lot more than it happens to men because we live longer. Women are twice as likely, almost twice as likely to lose a spouse due to death. And and so I think it's important as we as we unpack this, because we're going to try to unpack it today, to think about how and and where you get started. And Jason, I know a lot of your clients have gone through this over the years. 
when you get the call that someone has passed, where do you start? I always try and have the conversation on first. My deepest sentiments go out, and I try and say, let's have a cooling off period. Some of the things are going to be priority. Some are going to be delayed. I think the idea is the not doing things, the not making big financial decisions, not giving away money, those are the big things to be mindful of. And then feel okay to ask for help. So whether it's me as the planner, your accountant, your estate planning attorney, it's okay to ask for help. You know, we unfortunately have dealt with this before. This is not my first time having these conversations. Let me help guide you through this. And that's really critical. You have a team, use them. Use your family support. There are certainly decisions that have to be made right away. I mean, as much as you can put a lot off, there are things you, you, you know, just the burial alone has a host of decision making, like a little decision tree you have to go through. And that has to be done pretty quickly. And again, you know, you're so right, Gene. You just, I remember when my parents passed away, it just was the worst time, like the absolute moment that you have no interest in talking about how you want something to go, you literally have to sit there and make decisions and, and organize lots of people to execute on those decisions. So then, Jason, walk us through, like, so what do you have to do now? And what can you put off um, for that maybe six months or whatever time period when you get it more together and, and you might be in a better position to, to walk forward? Yeah, the, the key first step is really the funeral arrangements, right? Dealing with the funeral arrangements and then secondarily getting the death certificate. Right. That's the key piece. The death certificates are going to be the piece that you're going to need lots of them. Different uh, organizations are going to need those. So getting the death certificates. And I would say once you have the death certificates, really inventorying things, going through and finding statements of things. And if it's a spouse versus a parent versus a sibling, really archiving all their pieces and then really looking at them as one-offs. Not everything needs to be done tomorrow. There are certain things that you can give yourself time. And when it comes to those death certificates, 10, right? 10 is the number that everybody says that you need to have. And you may need to have more. In my stepfather's case, we need more. Yeah, I was going to say 10 is the minimum. I would say somewhere between 15 and 20. You just never know. And also, I found you can delegate to people, right? Like that is something that someone else can go down the path and manage for you. And so I do think keeping a checklist of like, here's what you got to do in the short term. Here's what you got to do in the long term. And then just assign people to it. I've had somebody, a friend of mine literally did that for me because I just couldn't stomach the thought of getting my dad's death certificate. Even to this moment, it just it, it's just so upsetting to me. So somebody else handled it. And I don't know what happened, but one day I got a big envelope in the mail and it was really helpful. My stepfather actually left his own checklist, which was remarkable <laughs> and really, I mean, I guess expected because we knew him so well, but and he was so organized, but that that in and of itself, and it laid out, these are the people to call. You called this attorney, you called this financial planner, you called this accountant. One thing that I, I think is important to point out, and I just have this front of mind because I've been getting all the end of year scam reports mm. and, and fraud has just been raging this year. When you're going through the preparation of an obituary, really be careful not to give information out that could cause some sort of identity fraud. You don't want to give out the decedent's date of birth, the mother's maiden name, the street address, any information 
that a thief might be able to use to open a, a bank account or a credit card account or apply for a tax refund or do something else that is so untoward during this time you would think thieves wouldn't even think of it, but of course they do. There are lots of tax implications, obviously, Jason, right? And then also legal implications that are involved as well. Is this something that you can help somebody handle if a client comes to you or you can at least get them on the path to the right people having these conversations? Oh, yeah. One of the things I say on the front end in most of my conversations is just because a client has passed doesn't mean my job is done. Right. Mm-hmm. So really, mm-hmm. by us having statements, by us having the inventory, we can go through and coordinate with your CPA going, you know, does this account get a step up? Are there any requirements that are going to cause taxes for the spouse versus the kids? Let's review that with your CPA. We're knowledgeable enough to go, this is a consideration that we need to get your CPA's input. One of the key pieces is really reviewing the estate planning document. So whether that's the simple will, full-blown trust, really understanding how the estate is going to be split up, who gets what. As planners, we are usually in the middle. So we understand how to coordinate some of those conversations because it may be just the CPA versus the attorney. You don't have to just talk to the attorney. We, as your planner can talk to your attorney on your behalf. We can help sort through some of that stuff and come back to you going, here's what we discussed, here's what we think the outcome is, here's what we think the next step. And that's really it's, the role of the planner. And that means, Jason, right, if you if you work with somebody, that's great. And if, if you don't work with somebody, it's probably a good time to get some help. If you don't have someone, absolutely feel free to reach out to us. We're more than happy to help. Give us a call at 833 833- plan EFE. We've been doing this a long time. We understand that there's emotion behind it. We're trying to make sure that we can look at this with an unbiased eye and and make sure that you have some guidance. So again, 833-PLAN-EFE. We're talking about tactics when someone you love, a a family member, a, a spouse, a parent, a child passes away and the different things that you need to cross off your list tactically in order to make the the financial transitions that that have to happen easier. I, I know that it, it sounds a little rough, perhaps, to talk about tactics, but we have things that we have to get done or the assets are not going to pass smoothly. And the life of the people who are left behind is going to be more confusing than it needs to be. So we're going to we're going to dive into some of those tactics. We already talked about the fact that you need to get at least 10 copies of the death certificate and and probably more like 15 or 20. I agree with you there, Soledad, that you need to call the professionals, the financial planner, the estate planning attorney, the the tax preparer and make sure everybody knows exactly what is happening. But I think one of the important things to do is just find everything. Did, did you go through hmm. that, Soledad? Was it hard for you to find the wills, the titles, the social security cards when, when your parents passed away? Yes and no. Yes, sometimes the more recent things, because as they got older, they got more forgetful and their organizing system kind of fell apart. No, because my parents were very clear they wanted to be cremated. Like your stepfather, you know, they had a really good list of this is where we keep the important documents. So in a lot of ways, they were very organized, except for the last couple of years as they just became a little more challenged. And 
the most loving thing you can do for a person if you want to help them at any age is to have all your documentation together for them. Because listen, you can die at 109 years old and that is a nice long life. But I have had friends who have had traumatic, horrific accidents and it was a shock to everyone when they passed. And those who had things organized just made a really horrible situation so much better. Can we, Jason, just go through for everybody what belongs on that list? And also, who are the who are the different institutions, businesses, people that have to be notified? Well, it's a, it's a long list, but it's a manageable list. So really, the going back to what we talked about identity, canceling the driver's license, mm. right? The DMV, high on the list, right? Credit card companies, loans, uh, 401ks, IRAs, life insurance, uh, Social Security, pensions, right? Once you have the death certificate, really now calling all those places or looking up their website to find the information and organizing the list, right? A lot of times what I try and do with clients is I, I basically carve out, we're going to set up 90 to two hour blocks of doing conference calls and we're going to go through, right? And so the priority is going to be looking at anything that has a dollar sign associated with it, really looking at the person's identity issues and things like that. Uh, that's going to be the key. And to the point of those identity issues on the list of things that you are going to want to have at the ready, social security cards, deeds and titles to property, marriage and birth certificates, honorable discharge papers, recent tax returns, all of that stuff in addition to the will and any trusts become become really, really important. You, you mentioned insurance. Can we dig into that a little bit and, and talk about you know, why and, and what you need as far as all of your insurance contracts are concerned? Well, yeah. So really, ha- ha- having at least a number, right? Every once in a while, someone will say, I think I have this policy with, you know, X, Y, or Z carrier. Well, we can call them, and we can usually use the decedent's Social Security to find out, do they have something, right? But once we get someone on the phone, they more than likely won't talk to, you know, me or the spouse. They'll want the death certificate so they can file the claim right? So life insurance is easy phone call. And in my experience, where it gets complicated are annuities, right? So that's sort of in the line of insurance. And really, annuities have their own unique wrinkle, whether it's the spouse who's getting it or the kids, but having the conversation going, we want to make a claim that the owner has passed away. Having the statement in front of us makes us a lot easier when it comes to the life insurance, especially annuities. And of course, you have to notify um, you've mentioned some of these, but right, you've got to stop the mail. That's really important. There's nothing that is more obvious to somebody who has bad intentions and seeing mail and newspapers pile up. So you've got to stop that right away. Um, credit card companies. And of course, everybody has a lot of these online um, subscriptions, you know, that are often not inexpensive. You know, you don't want to be racking up literally thousands of dollars in fees because someone doesn't know somebody has passed away. I think the key, Soledad, is passwords. I mean, we have to have a plan. You should have a plan to share your passwords in some way because we live so much of our life online. We pay so many of our bills online. We manage our credit card accounts online. We manage our social media accounts. And and everything requires a password. And if you're not sharing your passwords, then 
you are really setting up a whole ball of frustration for the people in your life when they try to sort everything out. I, personally, I use a password manager. Um, and I have in my letter of instruction and suggestion that is the document that I created that lays out all of these instructions, I have here's the major password. And I, I laid out some of the other passwords as well, but those are going to change. And, and the, the beauty of using a password manager is that one password will hopefully get people into most of the things that matter. Yeah. And that's, and it's all that going back to what you said, a shortcut is, especially if somebody's receiving paper statements, you can look at their monthly bank statement or monthly credit card and you can see line items, right? You know, yep, Apple yep. TV. What you can see those as line items and go, that's something on the hit list. Can we talk about social security and and what needs to happen with the social security administration? Because there are there are a lot of important pieces here, particularly for the surviving spouse who is really going to need that bump up in benefits if their deceased spouse was the higher earner and the higher receiver of social security benefits. So what do you do with social security, Jason? Filing the claim with social security then begins that, that ripple effect. Now they're looking at the benefits. So they look at, you know, both spouses, whoever's benefit was higher of the two spouses, that's going to be the amount retained by the surviving spouse. So what you may notice is if the husband's Social Security was going in his bank account and the wife's Social Security was going in her bank account and the husband passed away, the Social Security may pull back the husband's from his uh, checking account and now have to set up a new link for the wife to get the husband's old amount. So walking through the Social Security and understanding there may be a 30-day lead cycle where there may not be any benefit because once you file claim, depending on when they, they pass, they may pull back the benefits or delay the benefits. Yeah, just a few things to know, right, about this. I mean, you should actually, if you can, make an in-person appointment at your local office and bring all of those important documents with you to the meeting, the proof of death, the proof of age, the birth certificate, the proof of marriage, proof of divorce, if those things are applicable. Because if you were divorced from somebody who died, you actually can get survivor's benefits on on their account in, in many cases. We talked in the last segment about fraud, and, and it's also really important to notify the credit bureaus of, of what's going on, because there, there is a lot of fraud that goes on after people die. So, so what do you need to do there, Jason? Yeah, and so the credit card companies, really, a lot of people think, well, that wasn't my debt. I don't have to worry about it. Unfortunately, the estate owes the debt. And a lot of times what happens is you, you may have a couple that they thought they had a joint credit card. When in fact, it was just one person's credit card that the other person was the authorized signer. Unfortunately, when that person passes away, you don't have access to it. So that's another barrier that, you know, passed it. You need to let them know. And, and some places may say, don't worry about it. But some places, if it's a sizable debt, they may come after it. So not making big financial decisions because the estate may owe taxes or have to pay back credit. And if you don't have somebody to help you through it? Give us a call. 833 833- plan EFE. The unfortunate reality is death is just a normal part of the planning process. Oh, it's a lot. It is, it is just a lot. And I think you're right. I think you take a deep breath. I think you realize this is going to take time and you're going to get frustrated. And when you get frustrated, you go 
for a walk around the block or grab a coffee or a cocktail or read a book <laughs> or just do something to uh, to to let out a little bit of the stress. Another sort of stressful financial topic comes up at the end of the year. And and that's going through the list of all the financial to-dos that we have to, again, cross off our list. We're going to take you through those when we come back. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien and Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner Jason Cowens. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. With talk of a recession coming, it's time to ask yourself, Is your financial plan ready to handle it? Talk to an Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner and learn how to help prepare for whatever lies ahead. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to get connected. So in just a few weeks, we will be ringing in a new year. Did you guys know New Year's is my favorite holiday? I like it better than Christmas and Thanksgiving and all of them, all of the, even my own birthday, which I love my birthday. <laughs> new Year's is my favorite holiday. Wait, what do and you I, do on New Year's that makes it your favorite holiday? It is because I love a fresh start. Ah. And I love like a turning of the page. I do nothing. I, I, first of all, I like to be in bed by 9 p.m. because I know I'm old, but I like a good night's sleep. I think that sets up a good new year <laughs> is to have like a solid eight hours of sleep. And, and I think it helps set you up for like, this is what we need to head into a new year with, which is actually one of the things I think financial planning is on a lot of people's lists, right? Like get your act together this year. There's a lot that you have to do and a lot that you have to be prepared for. So obviously new slate turning the page is very exciting for me. But of course, you have to tie a bow on the year that's passing, 2022. And so we're going to help walk through that in this segment. I think you're so right. New Year's is not my favorite holiday. I, I just have to, I just have to what put is? that your out there. I like, I like the Christmas holidays. I mean, we celebrate Hanukkah, but I, I just like that whole time of year. And I'm, I'm big on Thanksgiving. I mean, the whole, the whole Thanksgiving feast is anything with a feast is, is good for me. <laughs> New Year's often doesn't come with a feast. It's just too much alcohol, but that's another story. I think that as we head down toward the end of the year. These are busy times and and we forget that there are a lot of financial deadlines that are sort of coming our way. I mean, the internet tries to remind us with things like Black Friday and Small Business Saturday and Giving Tuesday. But one of the things on our list is, is charitable contributions. And we know that fewer people are itemizing these days because they um, are taking advantage of the bigger standard deduction. But if you do itemize, or even if you could itemize every other year, making your charitable donations is something that you have to do before year end if you want to capture that tax deduction for 2022. Uh, Jason, I, I did some research earlier this week, and it was heartening to me to see that despite the fact that the economy has been kind of tepid, Americans are giving as much, if not more, than in past years. And even doing that if they need to cut back on other things. Well, what are you seeing and hearing from your clients? I've seen a, a similar thing that we do a lot of that, that beginning of the year planning to make sure that the December 31st 
we accomplish everything. I, I treat December 31st. That's my Super Bowl. Yes. It's our last moment yes. to shine. We need I to agree. finish strong. But really, reviewing clients, specifically their RMDs, the required minimum distribution, is one of my favorite conversations to have where clients are charitably inclined. Explain. Right? The unique thing about the required minimum distribution is although you have to take the money out, the unique thing about doing a qualified charitable donation is if, for example, your RMD for this year is, let's say, $10,000, and you're already giving $10,000 to a charity, well, if we send the donation directly from your IRA to the charity, you get the credit for making the required minimum distribution, but pay no taxes, right? So it's a very unique wrinkle in there that I really like having the conversation. I have one client where part of her RMD is her weekly church tithing. So we set it up. $35 comes out every single week to her church. And at the end of the year, whatever the remaining amount is, we have the conversation. Are there other charities you want to donate it to? Or do you need the money? So it's a great tool that I don't think is used often enough. And it's a good kind of end of year planning that if you haven't taken your RMD, because again, December 31st, if you do not take out your required minimum distribution, you get penalized 50% for what you should have taken. So it's a, it's a conversation that you need to have, and charities make a good example of how we can use the money without creating taxes. And I think this year, because the markets have been down, people are not in the frame of mind where they're thinking about giving away appreciated assets to charities. But in fact, it, it is still possible. The markets were up for so long. I just this week moved some money, made a donation from my portfolio into my donor advised fund using appreciated stock that was just still up 200%, right? Because the markets went up for so long and it allows me, because charities, including donor advised funds, don't have to pay capital gains taxes, there's a saving in giving away money in that way. That's a great strategy. We've had such a good run-up over most years that if you have some stock or portion of stock that you don't want to pay the taxes that you'd normally give cash, like you said, doing an in-kind transfer directly to the charity or, for your case, that donor advised fund, you get the credit for the donation based on the value that you gave. And like you said, the charity pays no taxes to liquidate it. There's giving to charity, and then there's also annual gifts, which are not uh, charity unless you consider your own family members <laughs> charity, which sometimes with your children it is. Um, you have to get that done too, right, by December 31st. Correct. So, yeah, the gifting strategy is, you know, every person is allowed to give whomever they want $16,000 per year, right? So you have a couple, they can give $32,000 to whomever they want. So this is another end-of-the-year decision that if you plan to give the money, you can give it now, and then, quite frankly, the clock resets January 1st. So if you were, like, of the opinion, we have a child, we want to give them $32,000, you can give it to them by December 31st, and then literally on January 1st, you can give them another $32,000, right? So you can split the difference. And, and Gene, what we did earlier this year for a client is we actually gifted appreciated stock, right? And... The math behind that was we gifted 16000 of these particular shares. The client didn't pay any taxes. The kids were in a lower bracket. Mm. And effectively, by the kids getting the shares while they're lower value, they still have a set number of shares that eventually, hopefully, when the shares rebound, that $16,000 gift feels bigger in the future. 
Very nice. I, I know that there's still time to make a contribution to your retirement plan. So if you if you haven't fully funded your IRAs or your SEPs or your 401ks, 401ks at this point could get a little tricky, right? You better pick up the phone really quickly and and call benefits and make sure you have a way to move the money because it probably has to come out of the end of the year payroll. But if you haven't contributed the full $20,500 for individuals or $27,000 if you're 50 or older like me and you're making catch-up contributions, now's time. It's, it's also the time of year that we start to see those advertisements in every optical store as you walk by. Hey, get those glasses. And and what they're talking about is is using up any remaining dollars in your flexible spending accounts. Yeah. And I always like to make the distinction. We're talking about FSA versus HSA. So like you said, the FSA, if you have any remaining balance, use or lose it. So if you haven't loaded up on your contacts from Costco, great time to do it. But the HSAs do roll over? The HSAs do roll over, and that's the distinction. And my favorite hack here is that there is a website called FSA Store. And if you are looking for different ways to use your FSA dollars and you don't need contacts or you don't need to go to the dentist, you can go to this site and you can actually buy stuff that you'd buy in a drugstore Mm. and load up on it and use up your money that way. We have been talking about end-of-the-year financial to-dos that we all need to stay on top of before December 31st hits, and we've lost our chance. In the last break, we started talking about FSAs, flexible spending accounts, and spending that money before the end of the year if your plan is set up as a use-it-or-lose-it. Now, some employers do offer extensions on the dates you need to use the money by. Some may allow slight rollovers but many are use it or lose it. So just be sure to check how yours is set up. Additionally, we've been talking about contributing by year end to your retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, and the like. I wanted to go back on the employer side on the 401k. One distinction is you may have full intent to want to do the $20,500 or $27,000. Your 401k may limit your contribution as a paycheck. So you may want to try and do 100% of your pay over the next billing cycle. They may limit you to 15 to 20%. So you may have the intent of understanding your benefits package on what they allow you to do. And the key piece is, and this is where people get in trouble, is if you supersize your end-of-year 401k contribution, it may bleed over till January 1 as well. So you may make that change. You may not like how it stings January 1. So be careful of that as well. We talked a little bit about required minimum distributions as they relate to your charity, but can you just take us through what you have to do about making sure that you have taken all the money that you need to take out of your IRAs, your SEP IRAs, your simple IRAs, your employer plans? Because I think that's a a very easy rule to run afoul of. Yeah, and and they've made it very hard. So the way you have to think about it is, the way the required minimum distribution rules work is, they view IRAs different than an old 401k, or even an active 401k. So let's imagine you are still working and you're now 75. 
if you have an active 401k, whatever that balance is, there are no required minimum distributions from that active 401k. But if you have an outside IRA, whatever the balance is, you are going to be required for that RMD. One unique end-of-year planning idea is if you're still actively working and you don't like the idea of paying taxes or being forced to take money out of your IRA, you could theoretically roll over your IRA to your existing active 401k, thereby consolidating the dollars under a 401k and not creating RMDs that you have to take out, right? So it's close to the end of the year. It may be, but that's an, a rule that you can take advantage of. I, I am so not doing that by myself, Jason. <laughs> I, I mean, is this, this, that is just way too much. Is this the kind of thing that you can help me with? Yeah, I've done it a few times for clients where they they're continue to work past their RMD age. We call their old 401k or their new 401k and we help facilitate, is this a good year to have this conversation? This is part of my job to look at how do I help minimize taxes if we can? And if the client doesn't want to do it, it's fine. We'll deal with the RMDs. The other piece is the way you have to look at it is your outside IRAs. Whether you have one IRA or 10 IRAs, the RMD in total is based on the total value of the outside IRAs. And if you wanted to, for example, if you had 10 IRAs, you could take out the total RMD out of one IRA. Like, for example, I have a client who has real estate in a self-directed IRA that is almost impossible to take out RMD because it's a property. So what we've ended up to do is we've tried to take out the RMD required for the IRA I'm managing and her self-directed IRA out of the IRA I'm managing to make sure she doesn't run afoul of Uncle Sam. Sounds complicated. You know, one of the things I love about the end of the year, or the, really the beginning of the new year, is that it's an opportunity to revisit everything. I mean, everything, like everything. And I do think when it comes to finance or even how you're thinking about sort of your life from a financial perspective, we talked a little bit about insurance coverage, but we didn't really talk about thinking about the kind of insurance coverage you actually need to have, right? And and estate plan, like you should have one. But this is a good opportunity. We just did ours last, oh my gosh, that poor lady came to my house the day before, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving to sign all the documents. We started the process before the pandemic and now we're just getting it done. But we finally have gotten it done. But being able to say, okay, estate plan, we have one. Now we got to tweak it because the kids are all in different stages and we did the first one. So I think it's a really good opportunity. So let's walk through, you know, what you should be thinking about with your insurance coverage in terms of rethinking it maybe or your estate plan, what you should be thinking about in terms of maybe rethinking it. Yeah, and insurance has lots of different varieties to it. So whether it's life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care insurance, auto home, uh, umbrella liability, Use your outside agents. You want to make sure is understand what you have and why you have it. Mm. Right? Oftentimes when I'm talking to clients is I ask them, how much life insurance do you have? And they go, I have $500,000. Why do you have $500,000? I don't know. That's what they told me I need to do. Well, let's review. What mm. do you really need? Do you need more? Do you need less? Let's go through it. Because my guess is when you bought that term policy five years ago, you're in a different place than you are now. Maybe it's a time to review that your pay has gone up, right? And it's a time to review this. And one key piece, and this is always a a unique one, if you created a trust this year and you titled your home in the name of the trust but forgot to update your umbrella liability to the name of your trust, you may have an issue, right? So reviewing 
the actual registration of your policy, reviewing your beneficiaries. These are all critical pieces. It's good to have them, but understand how they work. Review them often because Soledad, like you said, things happen. Kids go from, you know, kids to, to adults, birth, death, marriages, things change. It's always a good reason to review, especially if you had a life-changing event this year. Well, and the same is true with your estate plan, right? It's not just insurance, mm-hmm. but like Soledad was saying, if you if you had a life event this year, right? If you had a, a birth, if you had a baby, if you had a divorce, if you if there was a death in the family, if you got married, if you moved, I mean, all of those are reasons to revisit your estate plan. We had great advice on this show, which is really why I kind of tweaked my estate plan, which was if you have kids who are no longer minors, understand that if they have a health issue, understand that if you don't have power of attorney, you can't get in and make those decisions that you think you'd be able to make just because you're the parent. I had to sit down with all of them um, and have them sign over. Like, I am now a power of attorney. I am now have the healthcare proxy for the kids because my, you know, my youngest, my twin boys are 18 now. And I know because I have covered this in reporting that I've done, things happen. And suddenly the parents are kind of left out of the loop. And, and so that was really great advice. And we, we updated our estate plan that way. What are the things, Jason, that people should be thinking about when it comes to rethinking their estate plan? Well, the key is, you know, like you said, if, if you've moved states, right, a lot of your state plan documents may be state by state, right? So the power of attorney that you had that you created in one state may not work in the new state. Understanding, you know, if you, if you have that, that cousin that was your executor and their health is failing, maybe they shouldn't be the executor, right? Really reviewing your situation. It's all unique. And the beauty about a lot of those estate planning documents, it's much easier to update them in happy, healthy times than chaos. So this is a way to finish the year strong, review those documents. I know sometimes it's a messy conversation to talk about your mortality, but estate planning is to make the next generation life that much easier or those who are going to you know, be handling your estate. And when you make those documents, make the updates, make sure you give those parties those updated documents. You don't want an old will floating around that you gave things to one person and you updated it and you have that person coming out of the woodworks saying, I want my stuff. This is a partnership relationship. My, my job is very, very similar to that being of a personal trainer. I need to push you as hard as you need to be pushed. But it's a two-way street that if you say, Jason, I need you to pester me, let me pester you effectively. And then the key is, you know, if you don't have somebody who's pestering you to do these things, give us a call, 833-PLAN-EFE. We're more than happy to be that nudge to help you get these things done. Thank you, Jason. We are out of time. But of course, if you've got a question or if you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to have you on the air. You can visit everydaywealth.com to submit your question. And then together with an EFE Wealth Planner, we'll talk through potential solutions that would be personal to you. And if you want to catch a show that you might have missed, you can always listen to our podcast. And often the podcast will have extra bonus content that we aren't able to air on the radio because of time. You can download our podcast at everydaywealth.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcast. We love feedback, so leave us a review and take a sec and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and Jason Cowens. Tune in each week for fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help elevate your financial potential. 
To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast. Podcast.